John 8, beginning verse 12. This is God's holy and infallible word. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. And so Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Our text this morning is really a perfect example of what we get all over the place in John. Simple, straightforward stuff, clear, that's verse 12, and then deeper, more complex stuff. That's the whole rest of our verses, 13 through 30. And this is why people have called the Gospel of John a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant can swim. And that's a way of saying it's for babies in the faith, and it's for those who are more mature in the faith. It's for everybody. I don't know which one of those you identify with. Hopefully, hopefully neither of those examples, a baby or an elephant, that's not a good choice to give you. But you get, you get the idea. You get the idea of what's going on. We've already seen in our study of John lots of crystal clear statements Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He must become greater. I must become less. More of Jesus, less of me, as we put it. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. In the storm, Jesus says, It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, if if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
But then, then we also have seen a lot of challenging stuff, theological stuff, deep stuff in between all of that. And Jesus says in our text, I am the light of the world. Crystal clear, simple words. And then the rest of our verses are more challenging. And as I studied this text, I found out that lots of people stick with verse 12. And then they don't try to do much with all the other verses. But I really think it's worthwhile digging into these other verses as well. And a question about our reading, if you read it, is, why in the world does Jesus say, I am the light of the world, that's something so awesome, so profound? And then there's not a word about him being the light in all the rest of those verses. You'd think he'd go on and explain that some more. And you wonder, did the Pharisees distract Jesus with their questions? Did they manage to get Jesus off topic? I don't believe that could be. I think Jesus was always totally in control. The fact is, all of these verses together teach us some pretty cool things about the light. Not just that first verse as great as that is, not just that first verse that's so directly about it. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And all the rest of these verses tell us what that's all about. And that, that's what I want to talk about this morning. And we see, first of all, in this passage, the great need for the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Because there is great darkness, and darkness needs to be pierced by the light. The crazy thing is that here, the church is in darkness. The church, simply put, is the people of God. And in that sense, there was the church in Old Testament times, in New Testament times, and up to today. Jesus comes on the scene. He is born and he ministers during one of the darkest times in the history of the church. God's people had degenerated. These Pharisees that challenge him, these were the leaders of the church, leaders of the Jewish people, the people of God in that time. Their job was to call people to, to the Lord, but they had failed miserably. And their great failure was leading people not to the Lord, but to legalism. We talked about that a little bit last week and maybe in some other sermons of John. Legalism is making the laws of God an end to themselves. It's adding laws to the law of God. It's making people feel that following man-made traditions is more important than following the Lord himself. They were missing what the faith was about all along. And it, it's about God's gracious favor. We sang about before the offering. All of the laws of the Old Covenant were there to point people to the Lord. Even in the Old Testament times, following the law never saved people. They weren't even in the Old Testament an end to themselves. I mean, even back in the Old Testament, God, through his prophets, says at one point to his people, all I ever wanted was your hearts, people. 
not the outward forms. The Pharisees, these guys, chose to miss this. And they created an oppressive system, an oppressive culture of faith. It was total lack of grace, like we saw last week with that woman in adultery. In their harsh attitude towards her, towards other quote-unquote sinners, the leaders of God's people were missing the light. They missed the promise of the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament, and they missed Jesus totally when he actually came, when he stand right there in front of them. They missed the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that our God is all about. They missed, like we saw back in chapter 5 when we learned about that disabled man at the pool of Bethesda. You remember him? For four decades, he had been lame. There was no hope for him. Nothing in the religion of that day did anything for him. But it all changed when? When Jesus came. When Jesus chose him, plucked him out from among all those sick people lying there and healed him and forgave him and sent him on his way. That's sovereign grace. And you know what? That is the light. That's what these poor people then needed. That's what poor people like you and me need today too. Legalism kept people in darkness. It's no coincidence that Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery, just in the verse before ours that we read, he says, neither do I condemn you to this woman. Go now and leave your life of sin. And then in the next breath, the next verse, he says in our text, I am the light of the world. So you see that in contrast to the darkness of showing no grace. Jesus comes in, the light shines, the grace of our Savior for sinners. It's ironic that things were dark in the church because the people were in the midst of celebrating one of the great feasts at this time, the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, a few months ago, we talked about one of the great rituals of that feast. I believe it's in chapter 7, was that the priests went out of the city with all these pitchers. They filled them at the pool of Siloam. And they, then they came back into the city, came back to the temple, poured, dramatically poured all this water over the altar. And that was a great illustration of how God provided for his people during Moses' time in the desert wanderings. Well, uh, there was another great ritual of the feast that happened that we think maybe Jesus was speaking about here. And that was a symbol of how God led the people in the desert with the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You remember that? And so at night, during this feast, two great lamps were lit in the temple courtyard. They were big enough that their light shone throughout all of Jerusalem. And that's, of course, pointing to, to God in, in his light and his leading. It's ironic that these great lights were lit because the people were in complete spiritual darkness. With all of that, 
with that backdrop, Jesus says, if you really want the light, you want to get out of the darkness, look at me. Come to me. This darkness is, is so bad. It's like, you know, what's, what's so bad about the darkness, really? Well, we see it pretty concretely in verses 21 and 24. It's so bad that unless there's change, they're going to die in their sin. And that's ultimately where the darkness leads, friends, to death. Jesus is talking about eternal death here, dying in your sin. Everybody dies a sinner because we are not perfect till we go to heaven. This is different. Sinners can either die in faith or in sin. Dying in faith means we die belonging to Jesus, and we're going to be okay. We're going to be more than okay. We're going to enter into everlasting life when we die. That's, that's, how you, that's how you want to die when your time comes, in faith, not the other way. To die in sin is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to anyone, ever, if I didn't make it clear. To die in sin means dying without the light. It's dying without Jesus. It's dying without salvation. And that means, the Bible tells us, going to hell. And that's what Jesus is warning these church leaders about. Everlasting punishment. That's what he's talking about when he says you're going to die in your sin. Everlasting punishment. Unless they would turn to the light and believe in Jesus. And so the need for the light is great because living in darkness will ultimately lead to everlasting darkness. And that's, that's why we need the light. That's why everybody, I, I, boys and girls, young people, that's why we don't mess around with the darkness. We don't dabble in sin. It's no game. It's not like, oh, I'll spend a few years of my life, uh, maybe when I'm, I'm younger, doing my own thing, not worrying so much about that commitment to Christ. And then when I get to college or graduate from college and grow up a little bit, then I'll start getting my life on track spiritually. No way. I mean, I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, but the reality is you or I could die tomorrow. We don't want to die in our sins. We want to be in the light. And as each one of us has a need for the light because of the darkness in the world and in our own hearts and lives, we also need the light in the church. Because as darkness was in the church in Jesus' day, it's possible for the darkness to creep in the church today. And that's something we have to be aware of. Churches can get off track. Churches can be missing the light it's happened before. And this is something that the leaders of the church, our elders and, and deacons we think of especially here, uh, but everyone, we're, we're called to be vigilant about that. The darkness that comes in the church when we lack grace, when we're not embracing anybody and everybody, 
who comes through our doors. The darkness that comes when we speak or act harshly or meanly. The darkness that comes when we whisper or complain or have a negative attitude. The darkness that comes from disunity. The darkness that comes from withholding time, talent, treasure that we could be and should be giving to the church. The darkness that comes from the temptation to be man-centered in our worship rather than God-centered. The darkness of, of, of a church who tries to be hip rather than care about holiness and, and a hell-bound world. Oh, we, we need the light today, I believe, more than ever. In our own hearts, we need it even in the church and for a million more reasons than the ones I ticked off. In addition to the great need for the light, this text shows us, secondly, the challenge to the light. When the light comes in, the darkness doesn't just nicely and meekly back away. There's a battle. There's a battle. There are um, three eighth grade girls in our church who are good friends. One of them is my daughter, Olivia, who's either in the nursery or helping out with children's church, I guess. Um, Saturday morning, I was picking them up from a sleepover at a friend's house uh, to take them to a basketball practice at Timothy. For any of the girls that are here, the rest of the story is not about you girls, so don't worry. I'm certainly not worried because Olivia's not here. But I had, when I picked up those girls, they were in more, a little bit north in Elmhurst, uh, and I had to drive up 83, and I passed the shopping area. Uh, you know, near St. Charles Road that has a Coles that, that used to have a Dominic's. Um, there's a building that's been going up there recently, and now I noticed on Saturday the name is up on the side, Chick-fil-A. It's not ready for business yet, but if you like good chicken sandwiches and great shakes, you'll be very happy to know this. That reminds me of the light and the darkness, just seeing that building go up and seeing that name, because it wasn't that long ago that the owner of that company made some comments publicly about what he thought the biblical definition of marriage was. Remember that? I don't even remember the guy's name right now. Maybe you do. What I do remember, I remember I don't think he said it that harshly or meanly. He was just sharing his faith. Boy, did he get attacked the darkness got riled up, didn't it? And the darkness does when the light shines. And here, the Pharisees take Jesus on. They didn't like Jesus bringing the light. They didn't like Jesus saying he was the light. You see, they had stuff figured out. They were in control of things. They had this nice little religious system going on. They determined who was in or out of the people of God. And when people get a position of power like that, they like, they like to hold on to that. And they knew that Jesus and his forgiveness and mercy could change all that. And they say, your testimony is not valid. It's in verse 13. Testimony in court needed to have two witnesses. So what they're saying is Jesus was claiming to be the light all by himself. So they're like, we can't believe that. They're basically accusing him of circular reasoning. You say you are the light because you are the light? How does that work? And Jesus says in response to this a little bit later, you judge by human standards. 
So they're saying, he's saying, you're using human reasons, not faith. And as I thought about that, I thought that's a very typical argument against Christianity today, too. People will, will challenge Christians and say, you, you guys, you say the Bible is God's word because you say it's God's word, or you say it's God's word because it says it's God's word, huh? See, that, that, they're like, that's circular reasoning. That's not a legitimate type of arguing. And as Christians, we're like, boy, how do we respond? What, how do you respond to that sort of challenge to faith? I mean, we do say the Bible is God's word because it says it's God's word. Well, a couple things about that. The fact is, our unbelieving friends and neighbors argue the same way. They're, they're going to act like their thinking is superior or different somehow or more scientific and Christians are is weak. But an atheist who argues that the world comes about by chance without God and that things happen in our lives with no divine guidance they got no proof of that. That's circular reasoning too. I think there's no God because my human reason tells me there's no God. That's what the atheistic arguments against Christianity boil down to, and that's weak stuff. Jesus' response shows us a way out of the loop of human logic, and he says, hold on now, I've got another witness. It's not just me. My other witness is the Father who sent me, verse 18. And they don't get that. They think he's talking about Joseph or something. Where's your father? But Jesus is, of course, referring to his heavenly Father. And that is the origin of our faith and belief. It's from him. There is something outside the closed loop of human reasoning and human logic, something beyond that closed system we talked about a few weeks ago, something beyond people spinning their wheels trying to find meaning and purpose and a goal to their lives and their work and everything they do, something reliable, as Jesus says in verse 26. God is above and beyond human reason, and he's broken in. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that leads us to our final point, the recognition and receiving of the light. They can't recognize the light. They don't understand. But Jesus gives us the key. He talks about his time not yet coming like he does other places in the Gospels. And then he says in verse 21, where I go, you cannot come. They're like, what? Jesus makes it very clear to us in verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. That's when the blinders will come off. And we know that, that he's talking about the cross. It would take the cross. That's the ultimate way God would break into the darkness. Jesus' death and resurrection provides atonement, that's salvation for everybody lost in the darkness of sin. In Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, we read about Jesus going to the cross. We talk about those who belong to God. And it says there, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. But yet not all people understand, even after the cross, do they? And, and why, why is that? Well, you can't 
understand on your own. Human reasoning won't do it. It takes God breaking into our dark world and God breaking into our dark hearts. And that happens by the Holy Spirit through the Word. That last verse is very, very important. Through all the arguing, the end of it, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Even as he spoke, how do people believe? Randomly? Magically? Well, we're told it's through hearing Jesus' voice. That means it's through his word. That's how it's always worked, and and that's how you recognize the light today. And, And we believe as a church here, that's especially the answer to the darkness. When we as a people faithfully open up God's word and proclaim it, that's when we hear the voice of Jesus today. And that makes the ministry of the church so important because the ministry of the church is a word-centered ministry. If we want to be saved from the darkness, if we want to bring the light to our world, then we are all about the faithful sharing of the Word of God, which is the voice of Jesus speaking today. I'm so appreciative of all the people here at Faith who get that. And I invite everyone here, whether you've been here for years, whether you're newer, first-time guests today, to join us in that tremendous task we have of being instruments of God spreading the light of His Word today. Jesus says in our passage, what I've heard from Him, I tell the world. And that's what we do. What we have heard, we tell the world. That's what we're about. Bringing this Word of God so many would see the light. Jesus says back in that first verse, that that clear verse before all the arguing back and forth, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you today hear the call to follow Jesus? Are you hearing it? Do you hear the call to put your faith in Him? If you're hearing it, that that comes from God. That comes from above. It's the Holy Spirit opening your heart to understand, to see the light. The message of God's Word today for you and for I and for everyone is that there's a way out of the darkness of humans stuck in the loop of human reason. There's a way out of the darkness of your own heart and thoughts and actions. There's a way to escape judgment for sin. There's a way out of the harshness of condemnation and judgment that we can experience sometimes, even even from others. There's an answer to all of it. The light of the world has come. God has pierced the darkness through Jesus. And what He brings is for anyone. It's a free gift of grace. You just need to follow him to believe. May you hear the voice of Jesus this morning and receive him, the light of the world and the light for your life too. Amen.